Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. Not all the people who came north with the caravan were fleeing from violence, where if they went back to Central America, they'd be raped or killed. Some of them were merely fleeing poverty, where if they went home, they'd have no job and no money for the rest of their lives. This difference may not have mattered when they were on the road walking together, but once they arrived at the border, their paths had to separate. Those fleeing violence can apply for asylum at a port of entry, but those fleeing poverty have to walk across the desert, crossing the border illegally, avoiding apprehension by the border patrol. Last year, 400,000 people were apprehended in the southwest desert by the border patrol. That's more than 1,000 a day, and that's just the number of apprehensions. Nobody knows how many actually got through. The number of asylum applications in comparison was only about 350 a day. From El Paso and Juarez, we drove west to San Diego and Tijuana, 600 miles on a highway running roughly parallel to the border, cruising smoothly through the desert where people walk and stumble into the United States, where hundreds die of thirst and sunstroke every year. This strip of open desert just north of the border is a 600-mile-long graveyard where skeletons of men, women, and children lie exposed on top of the ground. You can't see them from the highway, and most people don't even know they're there, but they are there in the thousands. Sometimes the highway came close enough to the border that we could see the wall, a line of rust reaching to the horizon. Construction began under Bush and was continued under Obama. It's made from steel columns, 20 feet tall, spaced four to six inches apart, like a vertical Venetian blind, like something done as conceptual art because it's easy to climb up and over, even without a rope. The real wall here is the desert and the drones flying overhead. We crossed the border to Mexicali, 80 miles east of Tijuana, to see if we could meet up with the caravan on the last leg of their journey, but we were told they'd already passed through two days before. This guy at a safe house for deportees said there were 7,000, but the news reports were saying 4,000. Then two days ago, we were selling 7,000 people right here. Right here, we got 200. Now, today? Today. And there were 7,000 here? Right here on this building, all around the street, on the sidewalk, on the, on the uh, roofing. Really? Yeah. Up on the roof? Uh, up on the roof. Wow. So... And they just walked away, or they got rides no, to Tijuana? some people, they go to Tijuana. Some people, they go back to his place. And some people, I think, they go over there already. They crossed over yeah. illegally? I think so. How? I don't know. But the people, they go away. But really, I think some ones, they go to USA already. Pedro Trejo is a Mexican citizen, but his wife and daughter, his mother and father, sisters and brothers all live in the United States. We were talking to him at this safe house for deportees just across the street from the Mexicali port of entry. He said he'd been deported seven times. The last time was six months ago after spending two and a half years in jail. I was in USA for like 13, 14 years. Doing what? What were you, what were you doing? I was doing general construction in USA. I go to school. I go to the high school, college, and uh, I get deported really because I don't... I don't got no papers. Like, I don't got a resident card, resident card 
I just jumped through the through the fence to go to USA. That's why when I say I don't got no papers. And when you go, th when you jump through the fence, do you, is there a hole through the fence, or do you have to go over it now? I go over it. I go over it. How long does it take to climb over the fence? Uh, to me, they claim they take me five seconds, but like right now they make a big fence. But even like that, they don't want to stop us. You know, in some parts of the desert, they don't they don't got no fence. You can cross through walking or running. They don't got no fence. You don't have to jump or climb to go over. But isn't it? You could die in the desert. There's no water. It's very hot. Yeah, that's that's one of the. Uh, object do you have to in front, you know, to go to see your family because that's the reason to I go to USA because I got family right there. And so what is it like walking across the desert when you... Uh, it's bad. <laughs> What's, I mean, how many days, how many hours, that's, how do you do it? That's like eight, nine days. You, you know, you gotta go over where they can see the immigration, they can see you. But it's real hard. It's real hard. And uh, that's, they take nine days, ten days to go over, like from Arizona, just to go to Tucson, they take you nine days. Walking every day? Walking every day, day and night, day and night, day and night. Just take a break for like a five minutes and keep going. They still do that? People still walking yeah, across they, the desert? They are still doing that, you know. Around Sasebi? Around Sasabe, around Sasabe, uh, you know, Altar, Al uh, Caborca. Yeah, that's the, the points they can cross over. And how about here? Do the people cross over this area? Yeah, from right here, it's not that much. Right here, just you got to climb the fence, but really, they get you. They get you. That's real easy to get you. But these are other places where you can go through it. Where would you do it? How would you do it right now if you had to get in? Go cross over to see your family. If I want to go see my family, I jump through the fence and I go. Here? Yeah. You can do it? Yeah. Also in the safe house, sitting on the floor in a hallway open to the street below, there were three young men in the early 20s from Honduras who said they'd left home because of the poverty. Katie Davis was translating. You guys are from Honduras. Yes. Sí. Honduras. ¿Dónde? En el progreso lloro. Okay. Mi hermana. ¿Tu hermana? Bueno. Ella está en Tijuana. Bueno. Ah, sister, that's sí. a sister calling, and she's in Tijuana right now. ¿Con Ariel quieres hablar? Ella vino con el, la caravana. ¿Por qué se separaron? Uh, ella, se, ella se adelantó. Her group got ahead. That's why they separated. So you guys came were part of the caravan? Exacto, sí. What did you carry with you? ¿Qué, lleva, qué llevas contigo? Pues nomás mi mochila. Mm -hmm. His backpack. What's in the backpack? ¿Qué está en tu mochila? Uh, pues nomás mi ropa y ya está. Ropa, un pantalón y ya está. Huh. Solamente clothes, ropas. Did you get, were you ever hungry? ¿Tenías hambre? Uh, sí, en muchas ocasiones. Aunque pues el pueblo mexicano se portó muy bien con nosotros, nos dio su comida. The Mexican people really helped them. They'd give them food on days that they were hungry and they would tell them where to get clothes and where to spend the night. Pues haz de cuenta que todo el camino que pasamos fue lo fácil. 
Lo difícil es dar ese pequeño paso. Well, the thing is, the whole uh, walk was easy. The difficult thing is to make that little step. What's, what do you think it will be like in the United States? Ah, pues me imagino que es un país de oportunidades porque hay más trabajo, más posibilidades para ayudar a nuestros familiares, los cuales se quedaron atrás. So he says that um, they imagine that there's a lot of work there, and that's what they really need because there are people who are left behind, like their parents, and they don't see a, a country, they see work. Whatever there is. Do you have family in the United States? Tiene familia en Estados Unidos? No. Where are you going to go? What part of the United States? This is the great question. I'm not going to mention these guys' names because I'm pretty sure they were sitting there at the safe house waiting for a coyote to take them over the border illegally or walking across the desert somewhere. You can't really do it without a coyote, a guide, at least not the first time, and it costs about $1,000. So it's a smuggling operation, a black market industry bringing in, let's say, thousand people a day at a thousand dollars a piece that's a million dollars a day an estimate could be more in 2005 I was working on a border story with Julian Cardona and we picked up a guy on the road near Naco Arizona his car had broken down and in the course of the drive he told us he used to work for a coyote this interview is almost 14 years old but I think it's still worth listening to because it's a first-hand account of how people are smuggled into the United States. I wasn't. I wasn't the. I wasn't a coyote. The. I was just a driver for one. Hmm. The coyotes are, are the guys that, that take care of, building up the organization. He, sent money to the people he had in Mexico to round up these people that are trying to come across, and from there he had a guide. Several of them, they would come across the border, here and we would go pick up the people, take them to our stash house, and that's when they, the coyote, the, the main guy, would start making phone calls to these people's relatives here in the U.S. to get them to send the money through Western Union to him so that he could pay off everybody that he had to pay off and still have his fair amount of profits. So what kind of money, how much money are we talking about here? Um, if they're going only to Phoenix, a coyote would charge them anywhere from 800 to 1200 dollars. If they're going further up north, it just depends on where they're going. If they're going to California, it might be 1500. If they're going to New York, it might be 2000. Hmm. It just depends on how far they're going. What you know, the stuff that you see that I've read in the paper about this business, it's like these people are abused, uh, they're packed into these houses. And it's bad. These coyotes are evil people. Mm. Some of them are. Some of them are, are real bad. Some of them don't care about the people. All they care about is the money. Mm. Mm. I did it for a couple of reasons. One, the money was good. $750 every trip that I made. If I took three trips a week, that was over $2,000 a week. Another reason that I got into it was for to help these people out, help them get to their to their destination point. Okay, a lot of people take advantage of these people. They they hurt them, they rape them, they 
they take their money and they leave them out in the, in the desert. Some of them, they don't care whether they're, the guides take the girls to the side and rape them and then bring them back to the group. It happens. It happens. I know a girl right now that at night she was separated from, from the rest of the group, from her parents, her mom, <clears throat> and she was, and she was raped, and, and now she has a son. How come you stopped doing it? I I got in, I got busted by border patrol. Probably about six seven times during the time that I was doing it. Those six seven times, I was very lucky and I was released. My luck was going to run out eventually. It was either going to be my freedom or you have kids. I have two daughters. That's what I had. That's what it came down to. I can understand that. That was an old interview, but I think the smuggling still happens like this. It's probably more difficult now as there are more border patrol and their surveillance is better, but it's still the main way people get into the United States illegally. In the next episode, we'll hear from some of the caravan in Tijuana a couple days before some of them rushed the border wall in late November. This story was co-produced by Katie Davis with help from Molly Malloy, Ann Milliken, and Captain Rene Salvador Rosado of the Mexicali Police. Also, thanks to everyone who contributed to this podcast by donating or subscribing or buying a t-shirt or patch. All that is available on our website, homebrave.com, along with some photos of the wall. Trump speaks about the wall in the future tense as if it doesn't exist, but it does exist and it doesn't work. Thanks for listening.